AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Welcome, everyone, to Forward Thinking. My name is Jonathan Strickland. I am your host extraordinaire, joined by my co-hosts extraordinaire, Joe McCormick and Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we wanted to talk a little bit about H2O and uh, and how we get salt out of salt water. And well, why are we even talking about this, Joe? Well, around the world, uh, water scarcity is actually a big problem. Now, there's lots of water on planet Earth. I mean, we're what, the 70 percent water or something like that? 70 percent of the surface of the Earth. Uh Yeah, Yeah, it's covered in water. But about more than 97 percent of that water is salt water. Right. We can't use it. We can't drink it. We can't use it for agriculture. We can't use it in cooking. Uh, I mean, it's just not very useful to us. Um, And in fact, um, in 2007, the World Health Organization estimated that 40% of the people on Earth are affected by water scarcity. 
Right. And so if there were some way to use that salt water, that could go a long way to alleviating some of that water scarcity issue. Right. And the the water scarcity manifests in a lot of ways. I mean, in, in some ways, it's just uh, that people can't get clean drinking water. And, sure. And that's obviously one of the biggest things. And it's useful for sanitation and all these things, too. But it's also crucial in getting the food we need. I mean, uh, I think the figure is that... Um, yeah, according to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, uh, 70% of the water worldwide is used in agriculture, of the consumptive water use. So not only are we having a, a water scarcity issue, but this could also be a food scarcity issue. I mean, when you've got so much of your water tied up in the production of food sources, then it makes it doubly important to get that access to fresh water. Right. And then on top of that, uh, you know, water scarcity is is not just regionalized, but it also can be dictated by circumstance. For example, uh, after a, a natural disaster, when like, like a, a massive hurricane hits an area, that can mean that there is a at least temporary shortage of, uh, of access to clean water. So this is a one of those problems that is persistent in some areas and sort of an acute problem in other areas in the aftermath of some sort of uh, natural disaster or catastrophe. Um, and as a result, it's a good idea to try and find ways of, uh, of addressing this, including desalination. Right, which people are working on. Uh, the industry has grown um, about 15% a year recently. There are currently 16,000 plants operating today. And uh, that's uh, it's the the entire thing has expanded something like two hundred and seventy six percent since two thousand one. And it's a, a an encouraging number. I mean, uh, the problem is that desalination is uh, it, it's well, I guess to use a terrible metaphor, it's a drop in the bucket. Huh. Uh, I mean, there's the water scarcity issues can uh, can be offset somewhat by desalination, but it's hard to really uh, address the problem head on completely with it. However, before we get into the the drawbacks or the the other the, you know the enormity of the problem maybe it's a good time to actually talk about how we go about removing salt from salt water uh, and this is a practice that is you know it's it's centuries old well yeah I mean the simplest one the, the one you've already thought of is you boil it yeah yeah the the simple distillation process or actually you don't even have to boil it you can just leave it out in the sun and reproduce the natural process of evaporation that creates the water cycle on earth so we, as long as you have something to catch it yeah you just right. let, let it evaporate and then it'll drip down into a yeah, yeah. fresh reservoir like, like, here's here's a fun science experiment for you to try at home you get a bowl of salt water and you get an empty glass. You put the empty glass into the bowl of salt water. You cover the whole thing up with some plastic wrap. Maybe poke a hole in there. Put it out in the sun uh, for oh, several hours. You're going to have the water evaporate from the bowl of salt water, uh, and uh, it'll end up condensing on the, uh, the the plastic wrap and dripping down into the glass. So the water you get in the glass is drinkable. Super simple. Everyone should do it. By the way, you should not drink the salt water because <laughs> uh, your cells, in an effort to dilute the massive amount of minerals that are coming into your system, will start to uh, to push water out of the cells, and this is a bad thing. In fact, it can eventually result in kidney failure, and uh, then you can have uh, something called death, which is what we generally like to avoid. Right. That's why you don't drink salt water. Yeah. Right. So we've been boiling water to boiling salt water to get the fresh water out of it for hundreds of years. 
but recently we've gotten some much more advanced techniques of this, right? It's better than distillation. It's it's boiling 2.0. Uh, it's a procedure called multi-stage flash where they um, they have different chambers uh, of very rapid heating that, that violently boils the water and then reapplies steam to the chambers of new water to uh, to create a, a rapid and efficient boiling process. Right, right. So you've got uh, – you're, you're boiling the water multiple times in order to get as much fresh water out of that salt water as possible. You're left with fresh water in one container – and a very salty brine in the other. Which is good for marinating pork chops. Actually, it's not good for much of anything. That's one of the the issues about uh, desalination. But again, I guess we can we can wait till we get to the end of the whole discussion there. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very uh, uh, popular method of getting uh, fresh water out of uh, salt water. But then there's also the use of um, reverse osmosis. How does how does that work? Because I mean, you know, os- osmosis is the basic thing, which says that when you've got a membrane between between two liquid solutions, one with more stuff in it and the other with less stuff, the the solutions want to even each other out, right? Yeah, that's essentially what osmosis is. <laughs> well, yeah, but so you, you get a you get a semi permeable membrane, mm-hmm. meaning that it's going to allow some things to go through, but, but it's going to restrict other things. Yeah. And upon one side of that membrane, you put salt water. And then you use pressure to push the salt water through the membrane. And then fresh water comes through the membrane. The salt is restricted. It's essentially filtered out by this membrane. You have to use lots and lots of pumps to do this, actually. It uses quite a bit of energy. It uses less than boiling the water does. Yes. But, it, yeah, it's still it's still energy hungry. Yeah. So you are pumping water. You're essentially pushing the fresh water through this membrane and retaining the salt. Also, uh, the water that you get on the, the other side of the membrane may not be um, perfectly salt-free. You know, some salt particles can get through depending upon the type of membrane you're using. Uh, and also there are other issues with this. But it's it's um, a, an, a way to process a lot of water in a relatively short amount of time. So it's uh, there are a lot of desalination plants that use this approach, too. It does also mean that you've got a lot of moving parts. So things like the pumps or even the membranes themselves have to be uh, maintained and replaced on a regular basis. So there's an ongoing cost with, of manufacturing and uh, maintaining these pieces in order to keep the, fa- the, uh, the, the plant in working order. Uh, so yeah, that's another method. There's a, a method that's uh, that essentially uses gravity. Uh, now this is a very small scale desalination technique. It's you know the when you're talking about a desalination plant, you're talking about on the level of millions of gallons of water. But for the gravity method, it's really more for something like a community. You know, you think of a small community, not like a major city, and uh, it essentially is a series of filters that are vertically stacked. And you pour the salt water at the top, and gravity pulls it downward. And as it passes through the filters, it the filters filter out all the salt until you get fresh water at the bottom. So it's like using the potential energy of gravity uh, in place of the pumps you'd use in a reverse osmosis plant. Right, and again, it's a much smaller scale. We're right. not, you know, we're not talking about something that's going to be producing millions of gallons of fresh water. Right. Well, some of these plants are pretty impressive. Yeah. The, I was reading about uh, the Carlsbad desalination project, mm-hmm. and that, that's a, um, a plant that's under construction now in the San Diego area. 
um, and San Diego is one of these places that's that's good for a, a desalination project because it's dry, but it's on the coast, so it has access to water, but not as much fresh water. Um, and this uh, plant, what they're claiming is that they will be able to supply 50 million gallons per day. That's once a lot they're of operating. fresh water. Yeah. yeah. That would, that would be an enormous uh, offset, obviously. That would be fantastic. And, of course, there are other communities that have uh, even or you know, even large cities that have even less access to fresh water than someplace like San Diego does. Right. A lot of places in the Middle East use uh, desalination. Sure. Yeah, Saudi Arabia, I think, is currently the largest producer of desalination plants. Uh, also, what's interesting to me is that uh, culturally – in some of these areas, especially in the Middle East, desalinated water is thought of as being inferior to water that was f- just fresh to begin with. Really? Like it's, yeah, there's actually a cultural perception that the water tastes uh, uh, differently and that it has uh, an unhealthy effect on one. Uh, tests have not borne that out, mm-hmm. but the perception is there. And, of course, if the perception is there, that can really, you know, that can really shape people's behavior and adoption of these sort of technologies. So some of the some of the uh, obstacles to desalination are culturally based, not even technologically based. So we've looked at these couple techniques um and so they can both be very effective for producing water in a dry area that borders the ocean, but they're still pretty energy hungry. Reverse osmosis is better. Yeah. But can we do any better than this? Well, that's a good question. That is the question of the day, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you've got these methods of removing salt from salt water to get fresh water, but they require huge amounts of energy, really you're talking about an energy problem, not just a water problem. I mean, where where does this energy come from? And that's a, a big question to ask. I mean, it's it seems, you know, simple on the face of it, but when you really start to think about it, if you have to burn fossil fuels in order to generate fresh water, really your problems are kind of shifting. You know, it's it, even if you get enough fresh water, you are still having the problem of having to depend upon fossil fuels. You also have the problem of pollution. So how do you get around that? One method might be to try and harness solar power to generate the energy needed to run these desalination plants. Um, that would be a, a very clean way, relatively speaking. I mean, you have to take into account what it what it takes to build a solar panel, right, but a lot of overhead. Yeah, there, and and there's rare earth minerals and things of that nature that you have to take. Everything's a big picture when you ultimately look at it. But but the generation of the power itself would be clean using uh, solar energy. Uh, the only issue there really is being able to generate enough solar energy to provide what is necessary for running a plant. Luckily, I guess you could say for a lot of these areas where uh, a desalination plant is is uh, is most needed, they also tend to get a lot of sunlight. So you could, if you were able to build an efficient enough solar panel and then build arrays of these solar panels, entire solar farms, you could generate the energy needed to run a desalination plant, which in turn would generate the fresh water you need. You'd still have to find a way to dispose of the brine in a way that's, that's uh, uh, responsible because the brine itself is very dense. It's got a lot of salt content. Remember, I mean, that's where all that salt was uh, before, you know, when you got all the salt water. All mm, that salt is there. down, yeah. Exactly. And, and most of the time it uh, ends up as runoff in a freshwater river, which, of course, is not good for the oh, natural yeah. wildlife. 
Yeah, and, and you're talking about... Even if you just dump millions of gallons back in the ocean, that can't be good for the local wildlife. No, because sure. because this stuff sinks down, and then it immediately starts to uh, to really impact the oxygen-producing elements in the ocean. So you start to really make a severe impact on the local area. And, uh, and of course, that ends up being kind of a domino effect, and you get this whole... Uh, Ian Malcolm chaos theory problem <laughs> that uh, ultimately results in dinosaurs eating somebody. Yeah. But of course, he would say that life uh, finds, a, finds way. a way. Yes, he would. But well, uh, oh, well, sorry, go ahead. Well, I wanted to ask another question. Sure. Why can't we just manufacture water? Now, think about it here. Okay. Water is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Mm -hmm. Yes. We know exactly what's in it and how to make it. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and these are some of the most abundant elements in the universe. So why is it that we can't just make water? Uh, well, well, we could. I mean, we, we'd need a lot of energy. Yeah. Well, also, uh, Joe, uh, we, need, <laughs> we need to get that, that hydrogen. That's the problem. See, see right. hydrogen, hydrogen, yes, extremely plentiful. In fact, the most plentiful element in all of the universe. However, or at least our galaxy. However, uh, hydrogen on Earth does not really uh, have. It doesn't doesn't really occur unbonded. Right. It's very not free. Much. Yeah. There's there's a little bit of free hydrogen on Earth, but really, you know, percentage wise, it's a very small amount. Most of hydrogen on Earth is bonded to something else. And in order to get at that hydrogen, you have to expend energy to free the hydrogen from whatever it is it's bonded to. Uh, for example, um, salt water, I mean, ocean water, there you've got lots of hydrogen. You know, I've got all that hydrogen right there in the ocean. That's really probably the, the biggest uh, and most accessible uh, uh, source of hydrogen that I can think of. So I guess if you ran electricity through ocean water... So we just need could... to process this ocean water somehow to, right. to, to separate <laughs> so the you hydrogen take the out ocean. of it. Right. <laughs> if only there were a way to process ocean water so that you pulled the hydrogen out and the oxygen out and then combined it to make fresh water. I mean, you could just boil the stuff. That's <laughs> what you could do. But, I mean, why not run electricity through it so that you could use electrolysis to free that button? Yeah. No, see, that's the problem is that you go right back to that energy issue is without a source of hydrogen, you really can't manufacture water in any way that makes sense. I mean, there's just especially when when there are other ways of getting at the water that are less energy intensive, then you're playing a losing game. So and that's why there are there are new uh, new processes that are coming out. One of the newer ones is called uh, ion concentration polarization, and this this basically just uh, runs an ion current through a non-porous membrane, and salt and larger particles like bacteria and viruses, stuff that you don't really want in your water anyway, are um, are pushed away from the membrane, and f uh, clean water flows through it. Wow. That sounds so like Star Warsy. Yeah. So wait, you say the the membrane repels it? Yes. And any any kind of charged anything is going ah. to going to deflect right away from the membrane, and so so the brine kind of goes up away, and the and the fresh water flows directly through it. Um, and this a keeps the membrane clean, so you don't have to get it all dirty and gunky and clean it or replace it all the time. Um, and and <laughs> I bet those in the other plants get pretty grimy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and and yeah, and, and it unfortunately only really works on a very small scale. Again, this is a this is a personal community kind of thing. They're using it in a lot of uh, 
rescue operations. I think during Katrina, they had sure. some ground units for, for that sort yeah. of thing. But. And, and this sort of stuff is great for those those acute problems we were talking about. For a persistent issue where you have to deliver a significant amount of fresh water to a large population on a continual basis, obviously that would not be the ideal solution. Uh, the the good news is that there are a lot of companies working on this. Like like you said, Lauren, I mean, this is a an industry that has grown, you know, considerably over the last several years and uh and i've i've personally spoken with an engineer over at uh, general electric that was all about designing desalination plants and finding new ways to make them more efficient so that it is less of an energy investment to uh to to create fresh water from salt water and this is a problem that's not going to go away Anytime soon. I mean, obviously, this is something that we're going to have to really concentrate on uh, in order to support our communities. Uh, some of us, you know, are very fortunate that we live in places where access to fresh water isn't such a an issue. But uh, for other people, I mean, this is an on, this is a fact of life. It's just an ongoing thing that they're going to they they have to solve. So I'm really optimistic about the future uh, in general, and I think technology is going to play a large role in making in helping us get access to fresh water. But Joe, I think you would agree with me that technology is only going to play one part, and that a, a significantly large part of this is going to have to require some some behavioral changes. Oh right, I mean, you cannot. As far as we know, there's no quick, easy technological solution to this. Like we said, we've got this energy barrier. There's always a huge amount of energy that you would need in order to to get fresh, clean water to the people who need it. And so one of the easiest solutions, one of the most viable solutions, is just to use less, conserve better, and, and manage more efficiently. Right. right. It's a little bit outrageous that we here in America use fresh water, fresh drinking water in our toilets. And and that kind of thing is just incredibly wasteful. And, and there's no really good infrastructure way to get around that right now. But yeah, it is one of those things where during the whole design process for it, I don't think anyone was thinking, hey, you know, maybe we should find some way of using gray water mm-hmm. in order uh, in these systems in order to conserve the fresh water uh, because it just you know, why worry about it? You've got plenty of, of access to fresh water all the time. It's everywhere. Yeah, but it's it's definitely one of those things that we have to think about. And uh, and Joe, you know, in, in the video episode of Forward Thinking, I think you, you really nailed it. You said changes are coming, and they have to, because without them, we're going to really, especially depending on, on where in the world we live, we're going to be facing some really tough, tough problems in the in the foreseeable future. So, you know, we... we have to take responsibility and accountability and make these changes so that uh, so that future generations don't suffer for it. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing with the point that you made in the video series. <laughs> I appreciate that, Joe. I was afraid you were going to leave me out there. I was like, he's like, he's nope, changed, just, changed my mind. <laughs> Turn on all the faucets, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad that we got that out of the way. All right. Well, guys, remember... Uh, forward thinking it's a video series we've got it launched and going and it's it's fantastic i could not be happier with it uh the website is fwthinking.com we are on facebook we're on twitter we're on google plus 
go check us out. Let us know what you are excited about uh, in the future. You know, what, what future topics get you really jazzed and what do you want to see us tackle? Because we want to hear from you. We want to take those topics, suggestions from you and turn them into amazing episodes. So let us know what you think and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.